Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. This is episode 996, my interview with David Richmond, winning in the middle of the pack. Enjoy. David, welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. Great to have you here today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm very excited to talk with you. Whereabouts are you at the moment? I am outside of about 10 minutes outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. Las Vegas, Nevada. Not doing any crazy cycling in the moment. I actually am. You know, it's hot. It's very hot here. Yeah. Uh, for anybody that understands the Fahrenheit, it's in the one tens, and I actually like the. I actually like the heat. So I'm mm. training for an Ironman coming up in a couple of months, and Ironman training doesn't wait for anyone. So yeah, a lot of a lot of hot weather running and cycling right now. Wow. Wow. The Ironmans are huge. Just run us through that again. What's the um, distances that you cover? So the distances uh, uh, in the swimming is 2.4 miles. Which so, we've got to converge to kilometers, eh? That's about, what, four kilometers? Yeah, exactly. 4.2, I think, kilometers. And then, then you get off the swim and you jump onto a 112-mile bike, which well, 100 miles is 62 kilometers, so about, you know, 70 kilometers. Is that 180. right? 180. What did oh, you yeah, say? 100. 100. I'm going the wrong. I'm going the wrong going way. Going the opposite way. Yeah, you got to go up. Um, yeah, 180 kilometers. Yeah, and then a full-on marathon as soon as you jump off the bike. So, a full-on marathon. What's a marathon? Yeah, a marathon is 26.2 miles, so that would be about another 40, 40 odd k. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a it's a it's it's a day's work. It's fun. I've done about 15 or 20 of those, and um, I've done a lot more other kind of endurance uh, runs like uh, 50Ks, um, 100Ks. Uh, I've run um, uh, four marathons in a row. So what's that, about 170K straight through? Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been nuts. I've done a lot of crazy things. Some distances, hey, I couldn't imagine. I mean, uh, the swimming part, I like swimming, so 4Ks I can, I can sort of fathom, but the, uh, the 40K run and the, the 180K bike ride, um, that's huge. Hey, I I, uh, I interviewed one of my first ever interviews on the podcast was with Iron Cowboy, um, who you're oh, probably yeah. well familiar with, yeah, James. Very, very. Yeah, uh, that guy's nuts, isn't he? Isn't he? <laughs> I mean, I'm crazy. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I I was uh, I got to hear him speak uh, live uh, to a very small group. He's fascinating. Very, very good storyteller. And uh, my friend who has done quite a few Ironmans with me. In fact, he went to New Zealand with me, went to your country, Australia, uh, with me to do them. We, we did some there. He said, listen, I love this guy's storytelling, but in his book, he kind of repeats the stories over and over, and it's fascinating for people that are into that. He says, but don't you repeat stories in your book? And I went, okay. But the Iron Cowboys, what he did, what he does is it's unmatched. I mean, no, he's, he's amazing. That guy is the most resilient human alive. He has to be. One of them, yeah. Well, I compare him to someone like um, uh, David Goggins. Have you heard his story? I mean, oh, sure. crikey's. I mean, that's resilience in there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, the hardest thing that I did was part of this book, which was I uh, biked 41 out of 45 days across uh, zigzagging up and down and across the country, the United States to visit the people that I had interviewed in the book mm. and eat. So 41 out of 45 days, uh, I biked um, um, about 120 miles, so close to 200K 
41 out of 45 days in a row. And I did it in the heat of summer. And um, like I said, with only four rest days along the way, that's basically back-to-back Tour de France's. Um, with just as much climbing and just a, f- a, f- a few less days than what would be back-to-back Tour de France's. And that was nuts. And that's then crazy. I at- yeah, that's, well, it was 5,000 miles, right? So yeah. to put that yeah. in Aussie terms, it's 8,000 kilometers roughly, yep. which is, I, I think, I'd have to get the measurements out, but I think it's almost like going from Cairns to Melbourne and back again, which is huge. <laughs> which is huge. Yeah, you know, I had a met a, a wonderful uh, triathlete coach in Cannes, and um, she's she's amazing. And he told me a story about a guy who um, biked circumventing around Australia to raise awareness for, I think, childhood obesity or something. And I thought, oh my god, that's epic! So anytime that you think that you've done something epic, an Iron Cowboy or a David Goggins or a, somebody who's running around the outside of Australia does something that makes you look like you're like you're sitting on the couch. <laughs> well, <laughs> certainly doing the distances you've done. And it always inspires me when I interview you know, people like yourself. I just go, that's incredible, um, you know, just resilience and, and human strength to, to be able to, not fit only physically, obviously, but mentally to, to put yourself through that. And I mean, I'm, I'm proud of myself when I, I do a long swim, you know, in the pool in the morning. Yeah. Um, so it's um, no, awesome stuff. Now tell us, I mean, what? Because you haven't always been a an Ironman um, triathlete. You no. um, you said in your story that you are you are pretty much on. I don't know. How did you feel like when you were in your thirties? Was it late thirties? Late thirties. So I had uh, ah, geez, man, I had a really bad go at it in life, mostly self-imposed. But I was married to an abusive alcoholic. I had four-year-old twins. I was about uh, uh, 20% overweight, uh, maybe 25% overweight. I was a smoker. Um, I, I thrived on stress and creating problems so I could try to fix the problem. I was a complete wreck. Yeah. And, uh, and I just uh, – a lot of things came together at one time. Um, uh, I, I realized that I had to get out of that marriage because it was going to be harmful to my kids and myself, uh, more than it was. And, and it was getting bad. Um, I said, I, I got to start getting healthy and, and I had to figure out what that meant because I, I hadn't been healthy my whole life. And then at that same time, my sister, uh, informed me that she had been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Mm. And I just was like, wow, it was like a wake up call that, Man, I'm I'm not living this life on purpose. I mean, and that's kind of you, you know your whole your whole thing is is doing things on purpose and with a purpose, and and I and I had always been reactive rather than proactive, and I just I know it sounds cliche, but I literally stood in front of a mirror. I, I took my kids out of the house. We we got another, we got another, and um and I stood in front of the mirror and I said like 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 David who do you want to be because whoever you are right now this is not working who do you want to be and I and I sat there staring at myself in the mirror for a couple hours and and trying to come up with an answer and I said the first thing is I want to be not a smoker and then then the second thing is I want to be not fat and then the third thing is I want to not be um uh, stuck on the couch my whole life so that was kind of the start of it yeah so late late thirties. Um, was there any trigger for that? I mean, obviously your sister getting brain cancer—that's certainly a yep. probably an eye opener for a lot of people. Um, 
obviously if you get ill yourself that's when you really would change maybe your ways I guess um, but yeah having someone close to you go through it as well it might certainly awaken you to what's really important in life I suppose did you feel that I definitely did and I think all those things come together you know how like sometimes like uh, I don't know you somebody could tell you something a hundred times or a hundred people could tell you something and then all of a sudden you finally hear it like on the hundred time you know, like I had, uh, I, I was aware, I was very observant. I was, you know, I was successful as a leader, as a manager, I I, I ran big businesses. And I, so I had skills and I had the ability to process information, but for some reason, my whole life, I had just, um, kind of lived, uh, to make other people happy or to accomplish things so that my boss would give me a bigger bonus or so that my, you know, my, my girlfriend or my wife at the time or whomever would think I was a better guy. I never really did things for me. Mm. And at that time it was just those combination of things, my, you know, my, all of those, all that turmoil that just all of a sudden a light went off in my head. And I might've, I might've even told people a hundred times to do things for yourself and not for others, but I, it never had sunk in. And when I finally said like, dude, you're wasting your life. Nobody really cares about about you the way that you should care about you. Um, when I started putting what I cared first, um, then it, that was the instituting uh, thing that, that, that led to all the change. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I guess a lot of people can relate. I can certainly relate. Um, I think a lot of us live um, live externally driven, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Man. I mean, look, I, you know, I, yeah, you want to do a good job. You have pride in what you do. But I wasn't like looking for somebody to pat my head or something and tell me good job. But I feel like, like I was all more concerned with the way that I was being perceived than the way that I perceived myself. And so if I if I worked harder, everybody would know I was the hardest guy at work. I was the hardest worker in the room. Hmm. If I solved the hardest problem, I knew people would go, oh, that guy's the smartest guy in the room or whatever. I never did it because I was like, I want to do this. I want to be the hard worker for me. I want to solve the problem for me. I always was doing it because I thought that it would make me be perceived a certain way. And in the end, it's pretty shallow and it's pretty stupid because everybody's got their own life to lead then and to live. Why do they care about you so much? They, you know, they just don't. And 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 you just got to care about yourself. I know it's again an, an, is a trite example, but I didn't I it I didn't understand why the pilot would come on and say. Uh, in the event of trouble, uh, put your own mask on first and then put that put it on your kid. I was like, what are you kidding me? But then, you know, kind of sunk in that, yeah, if I don't put my own mask on first, I'm just going to be a dead hero, right? Mm. Like, like, mm. like I, have, I have to take care of myself first before I can take care of others. And it, it you know, it's it, it really is the, the thing that like it just all of a sudden a light bulb went off. And I said, oh, my gosh, well, I, I'm, I am going to take care of my self first and it did it made me a better boss it made me a better employee it made me a better father it certainly made me a happier person yeah and that that would have been a, a tough journey at um what were you 38 39 something like that yeah finally like i'm a slow learner that's um i mean yeah to to unwind that that conditioned life that you were living um absolutely and i'm still doing it i really feel you know it was um Probably uh, when I started this podcast or a bit before is when I really started to 
show a bit more care towards myself um, rather than how I was being perceived. And you put it beautifully like that. And we worry so much about how we are being perceived rather than how we perceive ourselves. And I guess that's where you start making those connections with what's really important to you as a person, your values and your, your internal workings. Um, tell us how how did it feel to make that that change? I mean, obviously you looked at yourself in the mirror and thought about what you wanted to be. What was going on in your in your mind then? Like, it's so funny. Let me tell you. Can I tell you a quick story of the first like yeah. event that I did? It was the funniest thing, and it's going to be like I I bet you'll be able to picture like what an idiot I was. So here I am. I'm only a few months away from not smoking, right? So I'm I'm you know I just started biking. I just started swimming again. I I, I had never been a runner, so uh, you know I was not a great runner. And I decided I'm going to do a half Ironman, which is half of all the distances that we mentioned. Yeah. And as I'm as I'm driving there, they're doing one of those wave starts where it's not a mass start. Like different age groups go at different times, and it's a freshwater thing. It's in a it's in a river, and I'm getting completely freaked out because everybody that walks by me looks like. David Goggins, right? There looked like somebody carved him out of marble. And I'm going, oh my God, I'm this horrible, freaking fat, like pretend athlete. I'm only a couple of months from, from smoking. What the heck am I doing out here with all of these Greek gods that are out here? And I and I remember standing up on this hill looking at the people taking off first because my my swim time wasn't for a half hour. And I almost got in my car and went home because mm-hmm. I said, no business being here and everybody's going to know it. And then the gun went off and all of a sudden, like the, 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 the crowd of people take off swimming and left behind are like one guy, he gets on his back and he starts waiting. And another guy is swimming diagonal to the course. And another guy looks like he's drowning. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, like literally none of those, like those guys don't know how to swim. Does it really matter what anybody else thinks? All they're doing is the best they can do. And so it doesn't matter what you look like to other people. It doesn't matter if you think that you're whatever. Just go out there and do the best you can. So mm. I kind of laughed to myself going, nobody's going to look at you. First of all, they're worried about their own day. Nobody's going to look at you and think you're a certain way. So just be the best you can be. And it really did. It, it really was empowering to know that uh, no, nobody's nobody's care, nobody cares what, where I finish or what I look like or whatever. If, if I'm there, I should do it for me. Nobody else cares. And that's a very empowering thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's that's how we should live life in, in a sense, really, isn't it? Um, and I think maybe you start to realize that as you age, that um, yeah. no one really cares about you. They care about themselves. And that's that's just natural <laughs> instinct, yeah. isn't it, that we, we actually do. We're designed to just worry about ourselves and our needs. But yet here we are trying to do everything based on the fact that we think everyone's watching us and really cares about what we're doing. Yeah. They're too I busy in their own shell. In Vegas, when you're walking through Vegas and everybody looks like, um, um, you know, Kim Kardashian or something, not to bash her, but, but, you know, there are, there are a gr- big group of people that care about how they look and they think that they need to look a certain way in order to be, you know, relevant or whatever. And I, I love, I love it when, um, s- people are just individuals and they're not, they don't care how they're perceived or what others think because, you know, they're trying to be the best them that they can be mm. instead of trying to be like somebody else. And I, 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 I so admire that, especially in younger people, because it took me until um, I was in my late 30s, early 40s to understand that very simple concept that you, you know, I mean, you you got to find what drives you each day. What what's, what's your purpose? I mean, that's 
you know, something that all the, you know, a lot of people that you talk to, you bring that out in them. And, and until you get in touch with that, um, I, I feel like you're just, you're just kind of going through life and you're not, you're not at the helm, you know, you're not driving it. Hmm. Well, hundred percent. Did you feel, um, some level of guilt or, or selfishness when you started, you know, sort of focusing on yourself more? Heck yeah. Yeah. I felt like, yeah, totally. I felt like I was very self-centered and egotistical and, and I said, Oh man, you know, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go train instead of go do something else or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that. And sometimes people How did are, you deal with that? Uh, you know, um, I think that that's our own limiters, right? Is, 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 you know, trying to, trying to limit ourselves and, and, and not, you know, I don't want to appear as a show off, but I don't want to appear as a slacker. Like, you know what? Most people don't care. If they're asking you what you did this weekend, it doesn't matter if you said I binge watched on Netflix or, or whatever, you know, you, you might do, or if, or if you ran, you know, a, a, a 10 hour bike race, people don't care. Hmm. Right. And so I, I just, I just think that, I mean, they might care, but they're not going to, they're not going to judge you, you yeah. know, not yeah. people that matter are not going to judge you. And so I, I think that what we need to do, and for me, it was a super long process, right. To learn how to let go of what I thought people were thinking and just worry about what I was thinking. That was a process and it, it, it did come with guilt. It, it came with a lot of learning um, and a lot of forgiving myself for, for not knowing how to be, how to act or that I came to the game late. Like, you know, sometimes I would kick myself early on going, oh my gosh, you know, why didn't you figure this stuff out years ago? And I just, you know, started to forgive myself and say, you know what you know when you know it. And, you know, I've, I have accomplished a lot um, in different areas in my life at different times in my life because that's where my focus was. And it just didn't – I didn't focus on me really until mm. later. Later in life. Yeah. When you um, when you went started out on this journey – and how, how old are you now, can I ask? I just turned 58 last uh, – well, a couple of days ago. Okay, so that's I mean that's a, a while now, eighteen years in the past. Twenty. Twenty yeah, eighteen years. Twenty yeah, years. Yeah, almost twenty years. Yeah. Going back to that, you know, when you're just starting out, was there anything that like practices of routines, anything you did that you really noticed that was the you know, one of those things that just really did shake change things a lot? Uh yeah, you know, um and I know I've I've listened to, to, to a bunch of your podcasts. I know that's that's something that you ask people, and some people have routines, right? Some people have things that, for me, um, the thing that made the biggest change was to realize that I was capable of way more than I thought I was. In other words, um, I didn't put a cap on what I thought I could do. So I just said, you know what? Like, I wanted to wait, and this is. A silly thing to do but i said i you know what i like to do i like to wake up one day and and do a marathon run 42k without any training like mm. just one day feel like i could wake up and go do that yeah then i felt like that would make me an athlete that was a pretty lofty goal for a guy that was very heavy and a smoker i said that would make me an athlete and one day i did that and then when i finished that race i was like mm, i don't know that that makes me an athlete you know what would make me an athlete 
I think what would make me an athlete is if I ran 50 miles, not knowing ahead of time that I was going to do that. And, um, you know, when you think about 50 miles, that's a lot, right? That's like 80 K, right? Yeah. And without everything, I go, if I can wake up one day and just go miles. So I woke up one day and I put on my shoes and I go, I think I'm going to go over 50 miles today. It took me 11 hours, but I, I finished and I got home and I went, yeah, you, you ran 11 hours without any training. That makes you an athlete. And I think if somebody had asked me 10 years before that, can you go run a 5K, I would have laughed at them saying, there's no way I could ever go run that far. And then I ran... For 11 hours straight without any training so i think that that i i learned early on not to limit what i thought i could do and just find what i thought i could do just go out and discover what mm, you could do. it sounds like you certainly had that you had that i don't know it was a night but maybe you've always had that mindset where you can you know you can be unlimitless i suppose because a lot of a lot of us will put a cap on it and limit ourselves to you know i'm, I'm not a runner so i'll go out and run you know okay and see how mm-hmm. I go. But then to go out and run 50 miles, you know, without much training or experience, um, that takes now, a lot did, of... Yeah. yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but if you own a business, right, not own a business, and you said, and somebody said to you, oh, hey, at the general store, do you think you could work a 30-hour shift? You would go, why would I ever do that in a million years? I would never go work a 30-hour shift. And then all of a sudden, if you happen to own that general store and all of your employees called in sick and in order to stay in business, you had to stay uh, and work a 30-hour shift, you would do it, hmm. right? You would do it. And and guess what? If, you're, if your significant other was, was sick and needed you to go work their shift after that, you could work a 40-hour shift. It, it just need the right motivation to go do whatever it is. You, what, we're, what we're capable of doing is light years beyond what we think, but it's just because we've never done it before, we don't know. And so, you know, I, I, I know that the Olympics are getting ready to go on right now, right? And these Olympians, somebody somebody gave them the belief that they could be the fastest runner in the world ever, that they could set a world record in some event that would make them do something that no human being has ever done in competition before. It happens mm. all the time. Mm. And if that person didn't have an unlimited ability to reach to however far they could possibly go, we wouldn't always be getting new world records, you know? And so I was just never the person that thought there was anything special that I could do or that I didn't, I didn't ever try to push myself to see what those limits were. And I was doing some uh, testing at an Olympic training center to test my lactic acid because I wanted to see, um, like where my heart rate should be when I'm doing different activity. And there was a very famous marathoner there. He had won the gold medal in, in the Olympics in the marathon. And I asked him, what does it take to be a marathon runner? And he goes, it's just a commitment. And I go, you got to have athletic ability too, right? He goes, no, not really. He says, anybody could be an Olympic marathoner. You just got to be willing to work really hard to do it. Yeah. And I went, uh-huh. You know, so I... Do you feel I, like I, you've always had that work ethic? Like that uh, resilience and that work ethic, just to, to yeah, out. yeah, yeah. I, but 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 again, uh, for probably the wrong reasons, right? Like I worked two jobs and 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 because I had to, because I had to put food on the table and and you know I could I could do you know I could do a lot. I had a hard work ethic and a and a an ability to continue to press through only because I felt like I had to. 
and, and not because, you know, for, for any other reason. And when, when I changed that and applied it to things that were fulfilling for me, then, then, then I found that I could have that same amount of resiliency or that same amount of drive or the same amount of purpose. Um, but for things that were meaningful to me and not just, um, Hmm. just because I was in a place where I had to do it. And, um, you know, I, I, I love that. I love that idea of, I heard one of your, I guess, talk about getting to do things rather than having to do them. Yeah. And, and it's like when you, if, if you've had a hard day at work and your spouse is not coming home and you have to cook the kids dinner, uh, it's a lot harder than if you're coming home and the spouse is not able to come home and you get to take a break from your day by cooking your kids dinner. That's a big difference, right? Hmm. Mine's. And so that, that whole like, I get to do all this fun stuff, like go run Ironmans and 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 bike forty one out of forty five days, and and uh, write books on cancer and those type. These are all get to. So I yeah. uh, got all the energy in the world for it. And I often say that, like even with the, you know, depending on whatever career you're in, but sometimes there's there's things that you know just don't, aren't as fun as others, you know. But I think you know sometimes when I have those moments where I'm just like, ah. Oh, I've got to, I have to do this, you know, I, I start to think about it and I go, and actually I get to do this because what's the alternative? There could be yeah. something much worse that I have to do that I really don't like. I get to do this, you know, it's, it's, and, and that's how I, I change my mindset towards that particular task. And I, and yeah, if I think if you can look at all tasks in your day, whether it's personal career or whatever it might be, you know, have that mentality of, I get to do this. Uh, this is, this is a rewarding thing. Uh, to be able, like have that gratitude level of gratitude isn't it it is and and um i'll tell you another quick story so i'm i'm uh i'm, I'm getting ready to do a 50 mile so it's a, it's a I, again I'm, I'm sorry about the trans case but 50 miles is like what 80 yeah i'm getting ready to do an 80k running race in the middle of summer it's literally the hottest and we're in the desert here in Las Vegas. So it's really, really hot. And I showed up late. It was a five thirty AM takeoff because they wanted to get you to avoid at least some of the heat of the day. And it's going to be a anywhere between a nine or a 12 hour event. So you're, you're going to be in, in the heat uh, regardless. And I was like five minutes late to the start line. So I'm the last guy taken off and I was all discombobulated and I started cursing about the fact that it was already like screeching hot, like unbelievably hot at 5:30 mm. in the morning, and I'm like, oh, why do I have to do this? And why did I put myself in this position? And blah 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 blah. And I, I said to myself, I go, dude, are you kidding me? Like you're choosing to be out here on a Saturday in this beautiful desert area, running f- for no other reason than just to have some fun. And you're sitting there complaining. Nobody's making you do this. Nobody's paying you to do it. Nobody's following you. You're not inspiring anybody. You're doing it because you're choosing to do it. How dare you complain? And so I told myself to change your – I said, dude, change your perspective like right now. And I talked myself into changing my perspective by thinking about the word perspective. And I literally thought about the word perspective for four and a half hours because when I got to the turnaround point, I went, oh, my God, I'm the happiest guy ever. It's blazing hot out here. It's miserably hot. The asphalt is literally melting on my shoes. And 
I always had this big smile on my face because I'm just like, I get to do, like, I literally get to do this at my age. I get to do this. I'm like, how, how can I not be happy? Mm. Yeah. I love it. And it's just that, it's that mindset. I mean, you've got this, uh, I, I suppose, level of awareness. Is there anything that you've done to bring attention to that? Because I think that's, again, it, it really comes down to that foundational starting point. If we can bring more awareness uh, internally, um, I think we can conquer most things. Uh, and it sounds like you have that level of awareness, you know, to be in that moment, miserable, hot, ready to go for that run, questioning why you're doing it. But then obviously there's that level of awareness that you can bring attention to and, and then use the strength of your mindset to overcome that situation. Yeah, and it's very humbling, right? Because um, for me, I feel like there's there's people that really understand that, they really get that. And I admire that people naturally kind of understand those things. For me, it took a while to figure it out. And then I figured out, you know what, there's a there's a lot in common with – you know, uh, running a hundred miles and running a hundred million dollar business. There's lessons to be learned in everything in life if you're aware and paying attention. And, you know, I, I remember I had to do something really, really hard at work one day. And, uh, in my, one of my first books, I wrote, uh, this book where I wrote like kind of lessons learned in, in endurance athletics and in business. And I was that book called, was that not cycle of lives? No, that one was uh, winning in the middle of the pack. Oh, yeah. So it's just it's this concept really quick of in the middle of the pack, like nobody, nobody's watching. They're not waiting for the last guy to cross the line. They're not watching the first guy. It's everybody in between. They should be doing it for themselves, right, because yeah. nobody's really watching. And so these really hard endurance athletic events that you get to do, well, the reason that they're hard is they're supposed to be hard. And so – you know, that's, that's half the point of them, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't have been would have been an endurance athletic event. It's supposed to be hard, duh, right? So don't complain about being hard. What'd you expect? So, <laughs> I remember I was uh, in the height of the financial uh, crisis. Um, somebody had made a mistake at work, and I was the person tasked with firing them. And it was a single mom who just made a clerical error that cost the firm just millions of dollars and somebody had to be fired and I was the one to fire her. And I said to my boss, I don't know if I can do it, man. That's really hard. And she looked at me like, are you kidding me? She said, we're running a very big business here for a very important company. It's supposed to be hard. Hmm. Like, like, and I went, Oh yeah. Okay. You're right. So some people get that. It just took a while for me to understand. <laughs> <laughs> What what this middle of the pack winning in the middle of the pack concept? So yeah, so look at um, it, what we talked about a little bit earlier was that um, um, you know we, we might do things because we think that it might make us a better child or a, a yeah. better parent yeah. or a better employee or a better boyfriend or you know better a better girlfriend or whatever. Um, and and I think that um, there's something empowering. Like you look at the most successful people in the world, Elon Musk and Oprah Winfrey and you name it, right? Uh, they, people don't tell them what to do, right? They do things for themselves. Yeah. They could care less what anybody else thinks ever. Hmm. And, uh, and you say that same thing with maybe say you're a drug-addicted 30-year-old kid who's still living at home, um, living off of parents. He, nobody's going to tell him what to do or her what to do. They don't care. They don't listen to anybody but whatever they want to do. And I think that that's, uh, uh, that's ev- everybody at either end of the spectrum. All the other people, all of us in the middle, 
which we can be some very successful people. But all of us in the middle, we shouldn't care about what other people think. We should worry about winning because it's what we want to do. And I, I have, have long since stopped trying to do things and comparing myself to what others have accomplished. I want to look at myself and compare myself to what I want to accomplish. Hmm. And that that's what that winning in the middle of the pack means. Like there's no reason – like. I might not be the best person out there, but if I'm the best that I can do, I, I what else could I ask for? Mm. Do, do you know? Like, I don't go to a race hoping to win. I go to a race hoping that I feel like at the finish line, I did everything I could do to do the best that I could do. Yeah. And and, and that's great because when I finish, I mean, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not going to win. I already know that. But, and when I finish, nobody's going to look my name up in the newspaper and see how I did. Nobody's going to surf the web for my results. No. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Do you uh, know? So and that's what it comes down to. I mean, it, it really is. And that's that's a hard thing to do. And I still struggle to do, you know, just that focus on, on me and my process and what I can do, what's the best me, you know, because we still are so consumed by everything around us and um, you know, we're on social media watching everyone else and what they're doing and comparing ourselves. And that really, really, it's it's self-defeating. It, it, it actually stops you from doing more than what you can imagine to do for yourself. Yeah, and I, I was stuck in the corporate world for a lot of years. And I used to answer interview questions like this. Somebody would say, why should we hire you versus somebody else? And my answer used to be this. Put me in a room of the 100 best leaders you have, and I will always walk out second or third. Like, doesn't matter what the situation. I might not walk out first, but I'll never walk out worse than second or third, no matter the situation, right? So I said, you can always count on the fact that I'm going to beat, you know, 97, 98 people. Uh, you compare me against any of them, I feel like I, I, may, I might not be the best, but I'm going to be at the top. Hmm. And. I, I, I now look at myself and I cringe at that answer because now when I'm asked a question, which I don't get asked that question anymore because I don't want to be in the corporate world anymore. But if I did get asked that question in the same context, my answer would be that I positively can tell you that nobody will try to do a better job for themselves than me. I have too much pride to not do the best job that I can do. And so I guarantee you nobody else will put in as much of an effort as me. That's a very, very different answer hmm. because before I would I would think that they would want to compare me to other people and I don't really care about that anymore. I, I need to compare myself to am I doing the best that I can do? Am I being the best that I can be? Am I being the best parent because it's what I want to do? Hmm. Not because I think my friends are going to say, oh, what a good parent you are. Do you know, like that doesn't matter. No, no. Yeah, really, really good point. And it, it takes a lot of uh... – I guess working on that mindset again to, to get to that point where you, you don't care. Um, is there anything like do you do meditation or do you have a mindfulness practice? Anything there? Like, well, I, I kind of do, but not on purpose. Like, um, like a lot of people. So some people do breath work in the morning, and yeah. some people do meditation and whatever. I, 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 I. What I try to do is I try to do things throughout the day that will put me in a meditative state. Sometimes that is uh, endurance athletics. So I find uh, that if I go for a one, two, three, four-hour endurance run or bike ride, yeah. that it 
helps my heart rate, puts me in a meditative state, allows me to contemplate life. If I go for a good swim, that'll do it. If I cook a, a, a meal, a complicated meal, it allows me to, 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 to de-stress and to lighten the burden on my head. Um, I will uh, sometimes find a quiet place to, to calmly breathe, but I don't do anything like, like, you know, on a very regular basis, get up every morning at seven 15 and do Wim Hof breathing or anything like that. I'm mm. not, I'm, I'm, unfortunately I'm not that, um, disciplined. Um, and I also don't like repetition too much. I like change. So I just, uh, I just try to find, uh, periods of peace each day. Um, and that allows me, I think, to solve a lot of problems in my head. Mm. Yeah, nice. And I think that's a, that's another really good point. You know, everyone's different in, in what makes them tick. Um, for me, I'm very disciplined with my routines and um, I thrive on routine. I know when I don't have that routine, it, it really uh, impacts um, my day. Um, and I do like change, don't get me wrong. I love um, variety and change and novelty and all that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But you just have to find, you know, what sort of works for you as a person and and go with it. It's obviously worked for you because you've got a, a fairly incredible story there. You know, you wrote a book about it called Cycle of Lives and uh, you interviewed um, people who went through uh, cancer and yeah. and then you rode across the country 5,000 miles, um, yep. huge distances to um, to meet those people along the way. Um, so that's, that's an amazing feat. What question I have about that um what is one thing that you took away from you know interviewing people that were going through cancer obviously you went through it with your sister uh, uh-huh. who passed from brain cancer what is one thing that you really took away the lesson there well the, I took away a lot for sure mm. right when and I was talking to uh, uh patients survivors uh doctors you know oncologists um medical professionals, nurses, whomever. And I, and I wasn't really talking about the cancer. I was talking about the emotional facet of the trauma that they went through. So I feel like we all have traumas, right, in our lives, abandonment, bad choices, drug addiction, whatever, you name it. Yeah. But how do those things have, uh, have an effect on the way we dealt with the emotional side of, of cancer, you know, from whatever perspective you came from? So I really found these really evocative, inspiring, uh, just uh, uh, people that were just extraordinary in my my mind so that I could figure out how did they or why did they not process the emotional side of things so that if I could tell that story, then you might be able to read the book and go, oh, my gosh, um, I've learned something on how I can form more meaningful relationships with people that are around me who are going through this. Because maybe I have some insight into what they might have gone through or what they might be going through. Right. Like, like for example, if you if you have a friend that you know is going through something very difficult, cancer related or not, and you say to this friend, "Hey, I'd love to come by and help you," and your friend goes, "Really, I'm fine. I don't need anything." Um, well, that might be them saying to you, uh, "I don't trust that you're not going to abandon me. So forget it. No way, I'm not going to ask you for help because you're just going to let me down." Right? Maybe. You're taking it as, well, they just don't need any help, right? So um, my book kind of went into those those deeper things. And I, and I think very long, yeah, well. answer to, hmm. very long answer to your question, but the biggest lesson that I learned is that there is a lot more behind the story. And 
if you are trying to form deeper connections with the people around you, more meaningful, kind of heart-centered, you know, authentic, real connections with people that are around you, you have to be okay to ask more questions, even if that puts you in an uncomfortable position. Hmm. So in, in my previous example, if you said to your friend who's going through something, hey, let me come over and help you, and they go, no, I, I really don't need anything, then maybe you can say, are you don't need anything because you don't want to burden me? Because it's not a burden. Or do you not uh, need anything because um, you're, you're really tired because people are giving you too much attention? Or are you not needing anything because uh, maybe your parents treat you like crap and you're afraid that uh, that you should feel guilty about it, right? Just go a couple of steps further. Like people want connection and they want safety and they want to know you care. But um, I think the biggest lesson I learned is that there's so much behind um, the scenes. There's so much that's happened in people's lives that affect their uh, emotional state when they're going through trauma that if we can just figure out a way to get deeper and form a more meaningful connection, um, we can really enhance our relationships. Mm. Yeah, it's not being afraid of those conversations, huh? Yeah, I, I used to feel like an idiot. My sister, she's getting ready to die, and I would ask her how she's doing. And then I'd beat myself up going, what do you mean how is she doing? <laughs> she's getting ready to leave her kids and her husband and her friends behind. And you, you're such an idiot. You're, you're, you're not smart enough to realize that you can't ask her, Oh, Hey, how's it going? Yes, you can. <laughs> it's okay. I would say to her, God, so sorry. I asked that question. She goes, no, it's okay. I'm doing fine. Whatever. I didn't call to talk to you about that. I called to talk to you about something else. And it's like, uh, forgiving yourself from, from putting your foot in your foot and saying something stupid. Mm. To form deeper connections, and I think, um, I think at the end of the day, when you, when I talk to people who had lost uh, loved ones, or were at a point where uh, they were near the end of their life, or something like that, it was, it was usually always that most cherished memories, the most cherished things about them, the things they lamented the most, um, were always around. Uh, the connections that they had with others. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it reminds me of like the iceberg theory, you know, most of it's surface level. It's not until you sort of go under the surface level when you really find uh, the deeper, you know, meaning or the, the rest of the story. Yeah, and if if, if, if you have a, f- a friend who really wants to form a connection with you and or has and you and you want to form a connection with them, then... You know, I mean, it's very easy to just kind of apologize and go, oh, I'm really sorry you're going through that and kind of back away because it's very uncomfortable. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's at those times when when there's trauma and when, when people have all this emotional stuff going beneath the surface, you know, that that if we can just shine a little light on it, if we can turn that iceberg upside down a little bit. That's when meaningful connections are formed, and, you know, really deeper, meaning, more meaningful connections. And like I said, that's that's I think that's what we all as human beings really want. That's what we strive for. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, mate. What what um what bit of advice would you give your twenty year old self? Ah, not to be so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I if if I could, if I could, if I could get myself to understand it. Hmm. Not not just say it, but if I get myself to understand it, 
like by by saying put put the put the guy in the mirror first like not from a selfish point of view right not 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 from a like like forget about other people and only worry about yourself hmm. but i'm saying like if i could have just said to myself figure out what's important to you and then do it and and even if that's charitable things or whatever it doesn't even matter but just 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 figure out what's important to you and yeah. and yeah. um that's what i try to do with my kids and with employees and that type of stuff is is uh as I say, man, if I could give myself one piece of advice, it'd be like, don't listen to me. Listen to yourself, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, what would be, if you were to get your last meal served to you, what would you request? <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> well, it wouldn't be the greatest pre-race meal ever. But it it'd probably have to be a, a big plate of fried chicken. Hmm. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Good answer. Have you got a favorite book or a book you'd you'd pass down to future generations? Um you know, I I hate to say it, but it would be this cycle of lives book. Um, because not only is it lessons learned, you know, for other people, but I, I kinda talk about my past and so if it was gonna be for my kids and and um, for future generations of my family, it would give a little insight into kind of um, the grieving process I had to go through uh, with my sister because I don't have either parent in my life. Um, um, my, my dad passed away when I was very young and my mom mm. um, decided she wanted to abandon her kids when they were young. So um, so I would say that only because it's it, it has a little bit of personal history in it, I would want to do that. But um, as far as other books go, I have a whole bookshelf full. I have to pack them in a box and make sure they get those. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, look, you've got a couple of great books there. You've got a really inspiring story. Um, yeah, appreciate you coming on and sharing today. Um, and I know there's going to be a lot of people wanting to, to look into your journey as well. Is there a best, um, a best way people can connect? Is it just your website? Yeah, sure. The best way people connect is to the website. Um, the book is Cycle of Lives. Yeah. The um, website is cycleoflives.org. Uh, one thing that's kind of neat about this is that uh, each one of the 15 per- participants in the book or the, their survivor yeah. uh, chose a cancer-focused charity that we could donate the funds to. So 100% of the proceeds that that are net of the cost of the book. So 100% of what comes to me um, goes to the, uh, support the various cancer-focused charities, nice. uh, hospitals and cancer centers. So it's not only hopefully an informative book, but it also helps raise money for hmm. cancer research, which is which is awesome. And, uh, yeah, they can find out any information at, at that website, cycleoflives.org. That's really cool, man. No, thanks so much for sharing, David. Guys, check it out. Um, connect with David at those um, those points of contact. I will stick the links in the show notes as well. So check it yeah. out at thehiddenwire.com. And David, appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And keep doing what you're doing. There's no way I could listen to all thousand or so of your episodes. But uh, every time <laughs> no. that I go for a run, I, I try to plug one in. And I go, oh, man, you have, a, you have great people on. So keep doing what you're doing. You're making a heck of a difference. Yeah, that's some, that's some really good. And like yourself, mate. So appreciate you sharing. Guys, check it out at thehiddenwire.com. And until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. 
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon